I heard a couple interesting stories this week. Mm. Which one do I start with? Let's start with uh, the Virginia one. So a friend of mine was just driving out into Virginia, you know, wanted to get out of the city, out of the confines of the District of Columbia. Uh, so they were going out towards Shenandoah. Shenandoah's a national park in the, I guess you'd call it the northwestern portion of Virginia. Um, you know, there's trails, hiking, you go canoeing and shit out there. It's, you know, it's nice. It's nice. It's the outdoors. And they stop in a gas station. Um, and once you get out towards that way, you're, you know, you're venturing more into, uh, I guess you could call it Trump country. I wouldn't really call it that, but, um, it, you're definitely outside the DC, Northern Virginia liberal bubble. And she goes into this gas station and she puts her mask on like a, like a good little liberal you know, you go in the store, you put your mask on, you know, it's one, it's the smart, rational thing to do in the midst of a, you know, the worst pandemic in a hundred years. And, uh, also it's typically the policy of the store, at least when you're in DC. I don't know. I haven't been to a store in Virginia since this all started, but so she puts her mask on and then apparently the people in the store, the, you know, the, I don't know if they own it or they just work there or I, I'm not clear if this is like a chain franchise or it's a mom and pop. They tell her to take her mask off because apparently they are offended that she thinks she could catch Corona from them. You know, to paraphrase, you know, what she said they said was basically what you you think we're going to give you the virus like offended like how dare you think that you know we (laughs) we have corona which is kind of kind of reminds me of like the you know the big AIDS scare in the 80s I grew up with you know kind of that mentality before you know we we all calm down a little bit about HIV, um, you know, a bit of hysteria. And another story, this is a guy this time, went down into uh, Southeast D.C. Um, I, now that I think about it, he didn't tell me why he was down there. He is kind of like a young, tall, white kid. So I don't know why he's in Southeast DC. There's not really much for a white kid to do down there except maybe get drugs. He may might have been getting drugs. You know, pre-COVID times, uh, Southeast DC Southeast DC starting to get gentrified. I still never really knew anybody who would go down there who didn't live there. Um, except for some kind of nice, sweet, older uh, bleeding heart type liberal ladies who would go down there to see like a play, like a local play, or, you know, you go across the Anacostia river, you know, they keep trying to build it up to make it, you know, better. Um, cause it's a pretty rough area, not so much 
not as much as it was now, but definitely back 70s, 80s, 90s is, yeah, it was really, like, I could not have gone down there in the 90s. Like, I might have gotten murdered. I don't know. It was rough. I could I could go down there now. I'd be okay. Um, but there's still nothing down there during a pandemic that's really open to go do. So it's probably drugs. I'm not judging. You know, we all are dealing with this situation in our own way. Um, so he's probably going down there for drugs that have not yet been decriminalized. <laughs> but anyway, he's down there. Um, and he puts on a, I guess he wasn't in a store this time. He was in some, na- I didn't quite, I should ask him next time I see him um, to get the details. He kind of glossed over that part and I didn't ask I didn't ask details, but now that I'm thinking about it, yeah, it was probably drugs. Um, whoever he's with down there, whoever he's meeting down there, he puts on a mask and suddenly everyone thinks he's a cop. So he goes down there to meet um, an indeterminate number of black people. He's a white kid. And everything's cool until he puts on a mask and now he gets accused of being a cop. This is sounding more and more like a drug deal to me. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't put this together. <laughs> um, which is also funny because, uh, well, I doubt they're Trump supporters. You know, local Southeast D.C. blacks. But they might be, you know. Maybe they appreciate, you know, uh, Trump's business savvy or something. I'm not, you know, I don't want to speak for them. as a piece of shit straight white dude i don't want to speak for the black population of dc but i would not imagine that they are trump supporters although also i don't imagine that they would really vote (laughs) would really care enough to vote they've they've got their own priorities um but also what was funny to me is that i have yet to see no i guess maybe one or two but the vast majority of cops in D.C. are not wearing masks. They're not patrolling the streets wearing masks. So I don't know why putting a mask on would identify someone as a cop. (laughs) Because (laughs) the cops, well, now the cops are basically doing a, uh, you know, work slowdown because everyone wanted to protest against them. So the cops are like, okay, well, we just won't respond to your calls now. That's, That's our silent protest. Um, and they're definitely not wearing masks. And why I found both these stories who are kind of related interesting is that I've been reading a fair amount of articles in mainstream media that are, you know, basically they're mostly anti-Trump because now everything in America has to be viewed through the lens of Trump. And if you can't either come out for or against Trump on a particular issue, then that issue just doesn't get covered. It's like not worth anybody's time. Um, You know, this is why we're not really focusing on the open slave markets in Libya because, you know, that, that story does not support or does not support Trump and it does not support his opposition. So nobody gives a shit about it. Um, But I've been reading a lot of articles describing America's response to COVID as political, which is, you know, it is true to a certain extent, 
but it's only political on the political level. So it's only political for journalists who are now, I guess in the last 10, 20 years, journalists are now just rich kids reporting on other rich kids. There aren't really many old school, working class, ink stained, hard hitting investigative journalists anymore that went away now it's just sons and daughters of wealthy parents who went to fancy schools who now want to be included in all the great washington and hollywood parties so they're not really gonna hold all of the elites accountable they're gonna side with one set of elites or another they're not going to put themselves at risk to really ask tough questions of all American elites. So what's the deal with the masks? Like it's not, it's not political on a base level. People don't regular people, real people don't live their lives according to politics. We have shit to do. We may have opinions, but we don't live our lives. And most people's opinions are hypocritical, mine included. So we don't live our lives according to our own opinions. We base our opinions on whatever makes us feel good about ourselves. We really live along tribal lines. So if none of your friends and family are wearing masks, are you going to be the one loser that's going to cover your face? Are you going to be willing to risk shame and ridicule over the slim chance of contracting a virus that you probably won't even show symptoms for? Probably not. I've mentioned before that wearing a mask is about compliance, and that is true. But not wearing a mask is also about compliance. You can't win. You can't win with the mask. So a Trump supporter who thinks COVID is a hoax and they flaunt their uncovered face in a Walmart, they are also complying. They're complying with their own tribal taboos, which mostly consist of not presenting as a pussy-ass liberal bitch. That's basically what being a Trump supporter is about. Not being a pussy-ass liberal bitch. That's kind of what they all rally behind. And what's great about Trump as president is that we all get to be rebels. We're all rebels. If you're for Trump, you're a rebel. And if you're against Trump, you're also a rebel. Everyone gets to be James Dean. Except you're not James Dean. Because you have a cause. Your cause is either for Trump or against Trump. You think James Dean ever knew who the fucking president was whenever he was alive? 60s, I guess. Do you think he gave a shit? Most of you probably don't even know who the fuck James Dean is. That's fine. James Dean was a rebel without a cause. You can't be a rebel and have a cause. Well, I guess you can. That's not true. I lied. Che Guevara had a cause. 
and he murdered millions of people in order to achieve that cause. Maybe not millions. A lot, though. But James Dean was a rebel without a cause, which used to be, I don't know, kind of a great American mythos, an American mystique that we had for a couple decades, which is gone now. That doesn't really exist anymore. Because millennials killed cool. But James Dean was a rebel without a cause. And he lived fast, he died young, and he left a good-looking corpse. Which was pretty much the pinnacle of achievement during the 90s when I was growing up. Kurt Cobain was kind of the most awesome cultural icon (laughs) now no one cares so you can't win with the mask there's no winning there's no winning with which is kind of the point there's no winning with the present culture war we have and that's kind of the point because now it's it's like the war in terror. The war gets to continue forever. So as long as you keep fighting the war, you get to keep profiting from it. War used to be... War used to be a means by which you could gain an advantage in order to negotiate... A better peace for yourself or for your country. Like you didn't like your you didn't like the terms of your relationship with your neighbor, so you go to war and force the issue so that afterwards you can negotiate better trade deals or something like that. You know, there was a reason for war, and that was the peace afterwards. I remember when we uh, we started peace talks with the Taliban. One of my clients asked me how I felt about it. And I go, yeah, that's, that's great. Like, why would we not eventually make peace with the Taliban? That's the whole point of a war. <laughs> Is you force your enemy to come to the negotiating table and you strike a deal. So the future situation can be better than the situation that led to the war in the first place. That's kind of what a a war is for. Why would you not? And they really didn't expect me to say that. They expected I'd say, no, we can never have peace. We have to murder all the Taliban. I'm like, no, that's the whole point of going to war. To make peace at the end of it. What's the point of the culture war? Like, it doesn't seem like there's, you know, a, a, a middle ground where both sides can strike a deal, negotiate some sort of settlement, and then both sides are kind of disappointed in the outcome because they didn't get everything they wanted, but, you know, we've, we've got other shit to deal with, so we have to put this particular war to rest and deal with, I don't know, covid deal with something like that no no it's like the war on drugs or the war on terror it just goes on forever 
because too many people are making a huge profit off of it. So the war continues. You can't win with a mask. If you wear the mask, you're complying. If you don't wear the mask, you're also complying. So what do you, how do you resist? Yeah, like, let's say your friends and family are not wearing a mask, but you kind of think you should, at least in specific instances where you're in an enclosed space with a lot of people breathing all their droplets on you. You're going to put a mask on? Like, that takes a type of courage most people are not capable of. You know, if you conform with your bare-faced tribe, you all get to feel superior together because only sissy lala rich liberals who don't have to work for a living would make a hundred million hard-working Americans quit their jobs and watch their children starve just so a couple hundred thousand senior citizens get to play golf for a couple more years. I guess that's the argument. Got to keep the economy going. Also, you can keep the economy going and wear a mask. Or let's say you're at a, uh, a you know, a nice liberal fundraiser for Biden. And you get to get, get together with all your uh, like-minded, socially conscious wealthy liberal friends and you get together and you're going to raise money for Biden's campaign. And you know, you, it's just not the same on zoom. So you're going to get together and you're going to socially distance and you're all going to wear a mask. Oh, and it's outside. So yeah, sounds safe, right? And if you don't go, support you know trump's opposition you're a you're a bad liberal you know you might even secretly be a trump supporter because you didn't show up you donated money but that's not a you can't just throw money at these problems you have to show up even though you've got kind of a, a weird autoimmune thing that the doctors haven't really been able to diagnose and you're not sure if being exposed to COVID would set off some kind of crazy reaction in your body. You know, what? you're going to not go? You're going to be a piece of shit, racist, Nazi Trump supporter and, and not show up for, for our savior, Joseph Biden? Falsely accused rapist Joseph Biden yeah it's hard it's hard to tell your own tribe to go fuck themselves I mean if your tribe does wear a mask you get to feel superior because only Bud Light drinking 
Confederate statue loving piece of shit carbon dioxide emitters would dare put anyone's life at risk for their own comfort and convenience. So what do both tribes have in common? What do both of these tribes have in common? They both conform to tribal pressure and they both text and drive incessantly. One wears a mask while doing it. One will be in the car by themselves. No one else around, windows rolled up, still wearing a mask, possibly latex gloves. They may take one glove off to text while they're driving, you know, because they look up, they're good. Or maybe they only text at stoplights, but then they really have to like respond to this one. So they're just going to reach down real quick and, and text. But it's fine. You know, they're, they've been driving for 30 years. It's, they know what they're doing. But they also have to post, you know, on, on, on Twitter, too, because they, they had a really great comeback that, you know, if, if it waits 20 minutes, they might forget it. And they know all, you know, they, they know all the statistical evidence that smartphones and driving are a bad combination, but you know, they went to grad school. All right. They, they can handle it. So when I was in the army, I, uh, this has to do with tribal pressure. When I was in the army, uh, I was on jump status, which just means I had to jump out of planes. Well, I didn't have to, like you volunteer for it. You know, they don't just make you jump out of planes. You, they have plenty of young idiots like myself <laughs> to volunteer for that shit. Um, and really, while you're going through jump school, you know, they, they kind of, they, they make it a thing where it's like, you're not quite, we don't believe you're good enough to fall out of an airplane and make it to the ground safely. So, you know, you, you work kind of hard. You got to prove yourself a little bit. You got to prove that, oh, no, I'm, I'm good enough to, I'm, I, I'm one of the elite people that can be qualified to let their government throw them out of a perfectly good airplane. Um, and they make it seem like it's, uh, you know, like it's, it's a courageous act. Like you're brave. You're very brave and courageous for doing this. Um, and then after a while, it probably took me a couple of years of doing it when I realized it's actually kind of the opposite. And then there was one instance where, uh, I was already in my unit at the time. So this was a couple of years after jump school and I've been jumping for a while. You do it. I think we're, we're supposed to do it at least once a month. We probably did it about once a week. Um, sometimes you might not get a weekend, so, um, yeah, but fairly often, you know, um, enough so that it becomes a pain in the ass. <laughs> it's not like, it's always scary. You're always have anxiety when you're in the plane about to jump out. Um, but it, it's just a long day and you're like, I have other shit I could be doing right now. Um, but we had this one jump and then, so you go to jump school 
you do it's like a three weeks if i remember correctly and then in that last week you do five jumps and then you are qualified you are airborne qualified qualified to be pushed out of airplanes for the indeterminate future and when you get to your unit you think it's a big deal you're like yeah now i'm jump qualified then you get to your unit and nobody gives a shit because everybody's jump qualified and actually you're dangerous and nobody really wants to be around you because you're you know you're new so everybody gets, you know, everybody jumps out of the plane pretty much all at one, you know, one at a time, but in quick succession, it's just like, like a, it's like fucking opening up a Pez dispenser in the sky and just letting them all fall out. And you got to stay away from the other jumpers. You know, once your chute's open, you don't want to run into each other because that's when it's pretty like very rare. Someone's chute doesn't open. And if it doesn't, you have a reserve. I don't, I mean, I was probably in jump status a little over five years. I don't, I don't know of any instance where someone's chute did not open. And I did, once I went to jump master school, that's where you're the one who gets to push people out of the plane. (laughs) Why there was a video in jump master school, like this grainy, uh, night, you know, green night vision video of, um, I don't know, some unit was doing a jump and you could see one guy's chute did not open and he fell an extra four or five seconds before he pulled his reserve. Um, That's the only instance I'd ever like seen evidence of or heard of when I was in that someone's chute didn't open. Now, there were a handful of deaths, but they were not from a parachute not opening. They were from other things like, uh, there was one girl, I didn't know her. She was in another unit, but she was just too light. So I, I think they said she was like 90 pounds. So her and all her gear was not heavy enough to break the, uh, cotton webbing. Like the way the parachute works is it's got a static line. So it's not skydiving or free fall. And I'm getting way off track here now. Um, but basically this girl's, parachute i guess her parachute did not open but the static line did not disengage from the chute so she was basically hanging out of the side of the pen uh side of the plane from this cord and i guess you know she just got battered against the side of the airplane and that's how she died which is like something a fucking awful way to die um and who knows why that it was they kind of maybe it was sexist i don't know they kind of blamed it on her being too light she wasn't heavy enough to break the thing, which I don't know if I believe or not. I don't know. This was 20, 25 years ago. So who knows? Um, and then a couple other times of people hitting each other, um, in the air. So like the shoots opened and you're, you know, you're floating down to the grounds. And, uh, if you get tangled up with somebody else, that can be kind of dangerous because then your shoots can like steal air from each other and deflate. And if so, if you're floating down and someone else in a parachute goes underneath you, they basically steal your air and that can cause your parachute to deflate a bit. Um, so those are kind of the hazards. It's not so much your chute not opening, it's the other jumpers around you. Um, and it takes, you know, some time and experience to figure out how to handle yourself in the air because that's just a skill you have to learn on your own. They're... 
they're not going to make jump school three years long until you become a, a an expert <laughs> parachutist. It's just kind of, all right, you, you haven't killed anybody so far. Now we're just going to release you out into the wild. So when you're a brand new out of jump school kid and you go to your unit, you have to do your cherry jump, which is your sixth jump total. I don't know, for some reason in parachuting or skydiving, like the number of jumps you have is important for some reason. Um, so you get five in jump school. At that point, you're called a five jump chump, meaning you think you're badass, but you're not really. Um, it's kind of like anything. It's like, I don't know, I guess if you got your doctorate degree. Now you think it's a great achievement and your mom and dad are very proud of you. And then you go to work with a bunch of other people with doctorate degrees and they could give two shits because they've been working with a doctorate degree forever. It's kind of like that. It's once you bump up a level, now you're the lowest person at that new level. Um, or if, I don't know, if you make a billion dollars, now you're the poorest b billionaire among your peers. So one point we had this kid, I forget his name. I didn't really work with him. Um, this was in a special forces unit. He was like a combo kid. He was not really a special forces guy. He did, was like radio support, like he fixed radios or something. Um, you know, so he was just young, probably 18, 19 year old kid. And then it's his cherry jump. And I don't know. I didn't really know him. He seemed a little weird. He just looks like a skinny androgynous looking kid. Um, and for your cherry jump, you're, the people on your team will take your helmet and then paint it bright red and write a bunch of mean, offensive things on it. And uh, I think I got a shark fin, you know, like if you're, a, if you're labeled a shark in a parachute unit, that is not a good thing. It's basically like you're dangerous. Um, you're just cruising around in the air, stealing everybody's air and putting everyone else at risk. Um, so I got a shark fit on mine, not because I was a shark. It was just a joke. Um, so this kid, it's his cherry jump. You can see he's got his red helmet on and then we get up in the air and there, uh, so we go out and stick. So the plane basically like takes off. This is like a big cargo plane it takes off and it just circles the drop zone. So it usually, you know, it might drop off 10 people at a time, 10 or 12, we call it a stick. It's just like the line of jumpers that are jumping out on this go around. Um, so it goes around, it drops off maybe one or two sticks. And then this, it's, this kid's team's turn to jump out. So they all stand up in a line um, and I'm just, you know, sitting in the plane, probably, like, probably have to piss. Like that's all mostly I remember from being in the plane waiting to jump is a mild anxiety about jumping out of a plane and having to piss so bad. Like usually I just wanted to jump out so I could get on the ground and finally piss. Because it's usually a long day, it's hot, you've been drinking a lot of water, and suddenly you're stuck in a plane for a couple hours, and you can't get up, there's no bathroom, you can't get up and piss, you just got to hold it until you jump out and hit the ground. Um, so this kid's stick stands up, they're all going to jump, 
And then he refuses to jump, which I had never seen, but I'd never heard of that before. I'd never seen it. I'd never heard of it. There's a term for it. It's called a jump refusal. Like if you're, if you refuse to jump, that is the technical term for you is a jump refusal, which is basically like the scarlet letter. And that was the first instance I'd ever seen of that. And it was crazy to me, especially because it's one thing if, if they just made you get in a plane and forced you to jump out of it and you had never volunteered to go to jump school or anything. Sure. That makes sense. Like, no, I'm, I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> Most people do not want to jump out of a plane and you know, that's a normal response. But this kid had been to jump school and then suddenly he didn't, he was not willing to jump out. And I, this was 25 years ago and I still remember that because I had a lot of like conflicting emotions about it. My first response is like, who's this pussy? What do you mean you're not going to jump out? You don't not jump out. And then eventually I realized like that was a very tribal response on my part. I think they eventually just he just went to a whole nother unit. Like they're just like, well, you can't be on jump status. That's absurd. Like you volunteered. So you have to jump. Um, I oh, know actually no. Cause that kid. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a whole other story. I don't think, I think he went to prison. <laughs> not for that. Not for not jumping out. Um, Maybe if I remember, I'll, I'll tell you why. But that gets in a whole other thing. And I'm trying to come to a fucking point here. So this kid, who was not yet in prison, <laughs> refuses to jump. And eventually I realized, like, that was pretty ballsy in a whole other way. So he's he's a pussy for not jumping out of the plane. But I don't know if I would have had the balls to say, no, I'm not going to jump out. And I realize it's not, it doesn't take courage to jump out of the plane. It may take some amount of courage to get in the plane, knowing you're going to jump out. But then once it becomes time to jump out of the plane, it's pure fear of shame that got me out of that plane every time. Like the, not jumping out of the plane was never an option. That would have never occurred to me. You, so you sit in the plane, sometimes you're in there for a couple hours and you have this constant kind of low grade anxiety. Cause you know, you're going to jump out of the plane. You're like, Oh shit. You know, all right. You know, all right. Just could breathe. Just calm down. And then you'll start to daydream. You start thinking of other shit or you might start talking shit with the guy next to you. And then you'll realize you're about to jump out of a plane. You're like, oh, shit. So the anxiety kind of goes up and down. It never really goes up to pure terror or panic. Um, but you're constantly, you know, you're just on edge for however long you're in that plane. And then once, but it never occurred to me at least to say, maybe this time I'll say no. Not in the way like if I'm doing stand-up usually sometime before I'm, you know, near where I'm supposed to go on stage, it usually occurs to me to like, what am I doing this for? I can just go home, <laughs> you know, 
because <laughs> I'm nervous about going on stage in front of a lot of strangers and being publicly shamed and ridiculed. You know, usually it'll occur to me like, I don't need this shit. I can just go the fuck these people. I can just, why would I want to make them laugh? I could just go the fuck home. And then I don't just go the fuck home and I go on stage and more often than not, I have a good time and it was worth the effort. But at no point when I was on jump status, did it ever occur to me be, to just be like, hey, I just don't want to jump anymore. I'm like, I'm done. And I think it was because there was real, real risk of shame among your peers. And that's what pushed me out of the plane. And not that I was not that I was overly concerned about what my peers thought. It's not like I, I really had to like toe the line and, and be one of the boys all the time. Usually I was kind of the black sheep. But I was not willing to be the black sheep when it came to like that kind of risky shit. I might be the black sheep, but like, hey, what are we doing? This is dumb. Or this is like, this is not a good use of our time. But if it came to any sort of like, hey, that's dangerous, unless it was like unnecessarily risky, but we were all pretty good about that. Like we did risky shit, but there were definitely lots of rules and policies in place to make these things as safe as possible. And if someone is flaunting those, we all would hammer down on them. There are a number of times when we would like come down on an officer because they did not do the jump protocol like the pre there's this thing called mako um just like your pre when you jump out of a plane there's, there's a whole series of rules and regulations and then once you're a jump master like you have to you have to have all that shit down cold and if someone is not doing that it was usually some some like officer would be in charge of the jump and they just try to like wing it and then all of us non-commissioned officers would be like fuck no you don't wing this shit because like people die that's the reason why it is really was a safe activity jumping out of the planes because we had all those rules and regulations. So that was not an issue of like just being too cowboy um, because that's not really what, you know, at least the American military is like um, everything has a procedure and a protocol, but just like, flaunting the whole idea of like, no, I'm not going to jump. To me, that was like really ballsy of this kid to just say no. But then again, maybe it's not because he wasn't in the unit long enough to, to really know these sort of social and tribal taboos and mores and what he was breaking and what he wasn't. So maybe it wasn't ballsy, but for me, it would have been like for me just to say like, Hey, I don't want to jump this time. Let me sit this one out. That would have never occurred to me. Because then, you know, if some if someone on my team would have said that, I'd have been like, what? What do you mean? You don't get to not jump. Like, that'd be grounds for maybe sending them to, like, a, like a psychiatrist. <laughs> Even though not wanting to jump out of a plane is perfectly sane. <laughs> um, yeah, so now when... What does that have to do with anything, Patrick? The thing with the masks of it being political, 
I mean, it's only political in the news, but like really day to day, we we don't live our lives according to politics. We do mostly what our friends and family are doing. And then our politics are just reflections of that. Does that make any sense? Fuck, I don't know. I talk myself around the thing. So why'd the guy go to jail? Why the guy? That's probably the most important part of this story. So the kid went to jail because uh, at some point, I guess no, I guess he did stick around for a little bit. I think they did because we had a first sergeant who was really cool. He was like one of the best first sergeants I had. Um, I think he went in and talked to the kid and said like, it's all right. So I think maybe he jumped again at a later date and everyone would, you know, it's pretty, everyone was willing to forgive, you know, like, Hey, you know, this is a scary thing. So if you need a little extra hand holding, we'll do it. And that was actually kind of the best way to handle it. Cause a lot of times when I was in the army, uh, a certain activity would become like a, like a weeding out process which you do need some of, but a lot of things or a few things I did, it was too much of the weeding out because these are everything you do is ostensibly, ostensibly it's training for training purposes. So when you start the training, of course you can't do the thing because you haven't learned how to do the thing. So by the end of the training, if the training is good, you should be able to do the thing because you've been trained properly and your trainers were competent. Um, I did go through two or three things where it was really just a weeding out process. Um, And then there was lots of complaining and lamenting that not enough people were graduating these courses. And I'm like, yeah, that's because it's it's too hard. Like, do you want... When I went through... uh, scuba school or it wasn't even the scuba it was the pre-scuba so this was like a weeding out process if we were going to send to the actual army scuba school that thing was crazy hard we started with 20 guys and by the end of it it was just me and two other guys who finished this this pre-scuba before you even get to go to the scuba school and then they're like well we can't find enough people to fill these scuba teams i was like yeah your pre-scuba is too hard. You're just drowning people. And of course, like they're quitting. Nobody wants to black out in the water. Um, so I think eventually they made the course a little longer and a little less like <laughs> murderous, which it should have been that way from the beginning. Cause it's like, what do you want to train people how to do this or not? Like you're just basically throwing, basically it was a throw you in the deep end with 40 pound weights attached to you and let's see who can survive (laughs) like that's that's not training that's just let's find the couple of freaks who can handle it and we're going to send them in which is not a great way to train people how to do things if you want to like have more people who can do the thing um I don't know how. Oh, why'd the guy go to jail? Yeah, sorry. (laughs) I keep promising this thing and not telling you. So the kid went to jail. Because at some point on a deployment, under his bed or his bunk, they found a trash bag full of like dead hamsters and kitty porn. It was basically 
what I was told. <laughs> and this kid was interesting because everyone knew there was something wrong with him. And this is a like a big unit. This is a unit of well, we have like a fifth special forces group. So there were three battalions. Um, I don't know how many guys in a battalion. Maybe a couple hundred guys in each battalion. A special forces battalion is smaller than like a regular infantry battalion would be. Um, maybe a thousand guys in the unit. I guess special force battalion might have a thousand people total. Um, and then he was in like the support. I think it was the communications maybe. Um, yeah. Everyone in the battalion knew who this kid was because he was just weird so weird we didn't really have like the term autistic back then he might have been a little autistic also he had or maybe just psychotic also he had a trash bag full of dead hamsters and kitty porn so he was gone after that <laughs> there were no more no more hand holding and second chances after that um hmm So, liberals. I love to pick on liberals because I'm a liberal, so I like to pick on my own. Stop getting worked up about Florida. You don't live there. Stop pretending that you give a shit about what happens in Florida. Yeah, they're not having a great time with COVID right now. Just because you get to sit in your little liberal bubble and wag your finger at them and shame them doesn't make you superior. You don't live there. Florida and Arizona and Texas, they're just trying to live their best life. Like we're all trying to do. Stop pretending like you care about them because I know you don't. And most of all, stop pretending like a thin piece of cloth over your face makes you superior it doesn't make you superior it makes you prudent but you're not better than anybody else you're surrounded by a bunch of other people who are also wearing a mask no one's challenging your rights to wear the mask unlike some people who live in some of these places who might think you know secretly that they might want to wear a mask. Maybe they are a little anxious about getting COVID. But everyone around them calls them a pussy for doing it. What are they going to do? Have a, have, a little, have a little pathos. You're not better than them. Really, you're kind of a scaredy cat. And a scaredy cat lives longer than curious cats. But curious cats are more interesting. Wearing a mask may make you prudent. It also makes you kind of boring. At least in those places where they're not wearing masks, it's interesting down there. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see how it's all going to turn out in Florida and Arizona and Texas. And that's why it's in the news, because it's interesting. It's more fun. They're, they're more fun. They're having more fun than you. I think that's why you're wagging your finger at them. You're kind of jealous because they're getting more out of their short lives than you will 
in your whole entire COVID-free mask-wearing life. They're out there living it. You're just jealous that they're at Disney World and you're try you're sitting at home, you're trying to get excited about another virtual fondue party. Don't deny that you're pining for Disney right now. You're a 35-year-old child. You stay at the home. Dad gave you lots of hugs. And your ice queen corporate mother paid for your grad degree in international affairs. You want to go to Disney because deep down you're convinced you're a princess locked in a tower. Locked in a tower against your will by your ice queen mother, Maleficent. That's that bitch's name, right? Is that the evil queen's name? I think it's Maleficent. And your dad, you're stuck in this tower. Your mom, your your stepmom locked you in it. And the only person you have for company is a simple-minded, sweater-wearing caretaker who you call dad. And you're still in that tower. You're still in that tower mentally because you have no personal achievements and everything you are was given to you. You earned none of it. You would love to tell mommy and daddy to fuck off. Mom and dad, fuck off. I'm going to Disney. But you're afraid that they'll cut you off. And that's scary if they cut you off because you don't know how to be poor. You have no idea how to be poor. That's a skill you never learned. Because your daddy's little princess... He does your taxes for you. And I'm not talking, I'm, if you're a dude, you're also daddy's little princess. I just, I just want to make it clear, like, this is gender neutral. You want to surround yourself with Disney characters because you have no character of your own. The asshats at Disney right now also have no character. But they made the conscious choice to roll the dice with COVID. Mostly because if they have to spend another day cooped up at home with their fat spouse and their diabetic children, there's going to be a rash of murder-suicides all through the South. Also, I've been reading a few articles that say America is a failed state. Because we can't get corona under control. And we may be a failed state. That is yet to be determined. But it's not because of corona. Germany and South Korea, who they keep touting as doing a great job with corona, these are small countries. And they come from a thousand years of authoritarianism. We like, I don't know, I don't know why we like to say Germany is some, like, great beacon of democracy now. (laughs) They just started it. They just started it in my lifetime. They started and lost two world wars. And before that, there was a loose collection of, like, uh... What do they call those? King, not kingdom. Yeah, kingdoms. Autocratic little kingdoms before Germany was actually Germany. And Korea, Korea, Korea has a real leadership problem. 
I don't know. I, I don't know if anybody remembers, but it was just a couple of years ago, like two or three years ago, South Koreans took to the streets and forced their president to resign or their prime minister, whatever her title was. She had to resign in disgrace because she was making executive decisions based on advice from her woo-woo shaman cult leader psychic lady. It was like her own Dionne Warwick. And that's what she was basing her national policy on from pyramids and crystals. And in just the last couple days, like this last week, the mayor of Seoul killed himself rather than face a litany of sexual harassment charges. He just opted to murder himself. Maybe America is a failed state. But you motherfuckers who are saying it is have never actually been to one. Go to a failed state. America's still pretty cool. It's not, it's not as great as it has been. And I'm not saying, you know, we need to make it great again. That's not the particular hashtag I'm promoting. I'm just saying it, it's relatively... It's still pretty good. And that's not a reason not to try to make it better, but lamenting the, uh, the fall of the American empire, it's still, it's still premature. Mostly because who's doing better than us? Maybe South Korea has gotten their COVID shit on a little better than us, but they've got their own problems. We may become, you know, America may become a failed state, but not because of COVID. This COVID is just, you know, it's a symptom. It's it's exposing the absurdity of our crony capitalism we got going on now. The NASDAQ and Dow, I think, last I checked, we're still doing great. Which just shows that they have absolutely nothing to do with the actual economy. We still have this idea like the stock market. I think that was that was like whatever the fallacy Greenspan created back in the Bush era. People kept saying he was like the second coming. And then I was just out of the military going, how I don't see this great economy. Why is it so hard for me to get a job? Maybe CNN and Fox will stop reporting on the stock market as a reflection of success. I mean, that'd be great. Like, really, success for working people in America has and always will be based on the size of your penis and the number of women or twinks, if you're gay, that you have slept with. And if you're a woman... Success in America is based on the size of your engagement ring and how much your parents spent on your Disney princess wedding. As long as that wedding happened before you turned 30, because if you're a woman in America and you're still single after 30, you are a fucking loser. Basically, we're not a failed state 
and tell people stop having Disney weddings. That's why Disney has to be open.